Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Activate Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Activate. They say that dads, that, that fathers, they changed around about Generation Y. They said so that, so that Generation Y, all the generations up to ge- the beginning of Generation Y, if you're not sure where you are, it's probably from about 1980 onwards, you're a Generation Y. That includes me in it. But they say up until that point, fathers were very good fixing things around the home. And they were very good at, you know, if there was a door that was broken or something that needed to be fixed, they were good at doing that. And then there was this change from Generation Y onwards that, that you know, they're not good at fixing things around the home, but they have other skills. They are much better at changing nappies. They are much better at doing some of the things around the home, as evidenced by my father's testimony this morning. And so you could, like, that's, that's true. And so dads, dads are different. Dads are changing. Uh, dads are, uh, I guess, uh, evolving over time. And, you know, some, some dads, some, some men are, are hunters, and they like to hunt deer and, and rabbits. And other men like to hunt for bargains at Westfield. So I just think that dads, dads are completely changing. But I'll tell you something about dads. Dads have a huge impact on their families. Yeah. They have big impact. I want to preach a message to you today called the dad effect. The other thing as well is, is that uh, if, if you're here today and you're like, well, I don't have children, so I don't know how this really applies to me. Here's what I want you to do today. Every time I talk about kids or I talk about the word children, I want you to think about making disciples. Because it's amazing how similar those two things are. Some, some, some people are actual babies and then some are spiritual babies. But I tell you something right now, we know that dads play a huge role and, and, a, and a big impact in, in the family. So for me personally, I was there at all of my kids' uh, uh, births. I have photo here this morning. Those are my three kids right there. And I know what you're thinking. What are the odds that, that from our family line would come the three cutest children in the entire world? And yet the proof is before you. And, and so there they are. And, uh, you know, I remember... I remember being at every single one of those. Those are those moments that really stick in your mind. If you attended the birth of a boy, if you attended the birth of a child, you will never forget it. So that is that is a show, isn't it? But uh, but I was there, and I tell you, it is a show, and I. I tell you, it was one of the, the greatest memories of, of my life to be um, holding all three of my kids, and, uh, and I was just so grateful, and so my, my, my heart was full when I, when I had these, uh, all, of these, all of our kids, and uh, you know, I just love them so much, and I think that you know, I, when I was holding um, each one of our kids, it was reiterated to me, but particularly with my first son, Judah, because he was the first child that we had, um, when I was holding him, I remember thinking about the awesome responsibility it was to be a parent. You know, here I am holding this child that is completely sort of dependent on Sarah and I and the decisions that we make. And I didn't just see it as a, as a great responsibility. I also saw it uh, as a great privilege. And I think that responsibility and privilege often go hand in hand. And so you, when you have the responsibility of being dad, you get the great privilege of being a dad. And I think that those things are, 
you know, that's a tension that we should hold. One of the things that I have noticed, and this doesn't come from any statistical research or or, or anything like that, is that um, dads really do have a huge impact on their families and, and the direction that their families take. That, for me, is a personal observation, particularly over the last 10 years in watching dads uh, lead their, their families. It's funny how some things move from one generation to the next, and you see it repeated. So, so there was this weird thing. Um, you might have your own idiosyncrasies. There was this thing that my grandfather used to say every time that we would get in the car. And we would get in the car, and as we'd begin to drive off, he would have this one sentence that he would say. He would say, off we go, singing and laughing. Now, I don't know where he got that from, and I don't know why he did it, but I heard my dad say it when I was a kid. And, and so we'd take off in the car, and he would say it. And then I, I had kids, and, and I started saying it. And then the most bizarre thing happened. We took off the other day, and my kids were in the car, and they said, off we go, singing and laughing, you know? And, and I thought, that's weird. Um, and it is, but it was repeated in every generation because, you know, we, they just heard it, they saw it, they were immersed in an environment where they picked these things up. And I see that so significantly happen when it comes to church and God, particularly, and this might not be politically correct, and I don't care, um, particularly when I see a, a father or, or, or a husband or, or a man in the house who's, who's hungry for God and hungry and, and, and comes to church regularly and it's a big part of their life, I see a flow-on effect into that family unit. And I'm not saying that if you were here today and you're a mom and, and you know, you're you know, you're no longer married, um, you know, there's no doubt that you can step into that space and play that role and your kids will come to church and love God. But my personal observation has been that when I see a husband or a, or, or a father that loves God, I see it repeated in the next generation. So we're here today and it's Father's Day and Father's Day is always an interesting, uh, you know, message to think about and prepare for because Father's Day means so many things to different people. So today it might be a celebration for you it might be a a painful memory, something that has happened in your past that that is difficult for you. You think about your own family and your own kids. And if, however you think about Father's Day, particularly if it's difficult for you in any sense of, of, of that meeting, I think it just reiterates the point that dads have an impact. It just reinforces the point that dads have an impact on their families and, and, what they, and what they do. I want to read a scripture to you. This comes out of Joshua chapter 24. We have it on screen for you. And I want to read to you out of chapter 24 verse 14. And in this passage, you have Joshua speaking to the people of Israel. And he says this, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your put away the gods that your put away the gods that your fathers served. Isn't it interesting that the gods of the fathers were passed on to the children? Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord. Make a decision. Make a decision. Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You've got to make a decision about who you're going to serve 
in your house. And I think that um, spiritually destitute dads don't lead their families to worship God when they have no relationship with him. They won't lead their kids to him. I think it's so important that we make a decision about who we want to be and what we want to serve and who we want to serve. And we make that decision to serve God because spiritually destitute dads won't ever lead their children to God. Um, they never develop their potential. That's the privilege of being a parent is you get to develop the potential that, that your kids have. So many things have potential. What you care for, what you nurture is, is what grows. I, I remember before Sarah and I had kids, we had a cactus. And we figured, if we can look after a cactus, we can look after children. Well, that cactus died. And, 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 and you want to know how it died? It died of thirst. It's a cactus. Cactuses survive in the desert, but it died in our house, you know? I'll tell you this right now, we're better at looking after our kids than we are at cactuses, you know? But, but my point is really, see, what you nurture is what will grow, what you look after, what you take care of will grow. It requires effort. It requires energy. That's, that's why when people have babies, we have baby dedications. You've never seen a teenager dedication, have you? No, because while they're babies and they're cute and they're small and, 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 and everything is exciting, we make parents agree up front. So for the rest of your life, you're now saying you're going to look after this child no matter what comes up. You know, By the time they're teenagers, you know what comes up. So, so we make sure that they make that commitment up front to look after their children and to make sure that they nurture them and, and grow them and develop them because what you nurture and what you develop will begin to grow. Parents, you need to be deliberate about what you expose your kids too. Remember this, if, you, if we're thinking about disciples or, or disciple making, it's exactly the same thing. Be careful about what you expose, spiritual babies or even real babies. Be careful about the kind of environments that you expose them to. It's so funny to hear today this story that my dad shared about us being in the car on the way home and, and chatting. I can assure you that has skipped a generation. Because we get in the car, and when I have my kids in the car, I say to them, uh, when I pick them up, and I pick them up twice a week, I say to them, hey, what did you learn in school today? And they say, nothing. <laughs> and we pay to send them there. <laughs> and when I ask them questions, we don't get chatter. You know what I say? I have to ask very specific questions. I say, hey, kids, how was your day? Spare no details. I want to know who you played with. That's an important question as a, as a parent. I want to know who you played with. What did you do at lunchtime? What were the subjects that you did? You know, I ask in detail all of these questions so I can find out the answers to them. Right? And my kids, they always say they, they have nothing to share, nothing to tell me. My kids go to bed at 7 p.m. every night. That's the goal anyway. So, so they go to bed at 7 p.m. And I can tell you this, at 7.01, they can think of every single story that they've ever heard in their life. They want advice on future marriage and relationships. They want advice on what to do with their money. They want to know who Thanos is and, and, and how do I, when can I watch that movie? And they, they ask so many questions, questions I certainly don't have the answers to. Always at 7.01, I'm like, where were you at at 4 p.m. today on the way home from school. How come you saved them all? But, but, but I ask them, I say, what did you learn at school? They say, I learned nothing. I learned nothing at school. But somehow they're getting smarter. 
like at the end of the year, they're better at reading than they were at the start. It's actually really hard to track specifically the moment that they went from one level to the next, and it's because it's so gradual you can hardly see it. But I can tell you this right now, they are getting smarter because we as parents have been deliberate about the environment we put them in. It's called school. As we put them in that environment, and I think while it's very difficult to track their progress in a defined moment, over time they begin to develop and grow because of how we've exposed them to to an environment that's conducive to growth. I would probably call it osmosis. And osmosis is like when, when you... When people begin to learn and develop and grow, it's the unconscious assimilation of ideas and and, and growth because of the environment that you put people in. See, kids are so open to their environments. You have to be careful about the kind of environments that you put your kids into or what you constantly expose them to because they will grow, they will listen, they will learn. I remember as a kid growing up, I went to church when I was young. And I remember when, uh, from as early as I can remember, one of the things that my uh, parents did is when we got to church, they would give me uh, some money to put into the offering as the bucket would come along down the aisle. And so, uh, and I used to love that moment. I tell you, it's so fun giving away other people's money. And so, and so the, the bucket would calm down. I'd get my money. I'd put the money in the, in the bucket, you know, and it would go through. Well, that repeated over time compounds. And the thing is, for me in my own story, you know, it's been a long time away from God and eventually came back to a relationship with God when I was 21 years old. And one of the most difficult things that I, that I would try to do was get my life on track. But let me tell you something that wasn't difficult. Giving. In fact, my life for a period of time was a total mess, but I never struggled to give 10% of my income to God. It's so interesting that that was one of the first things that I found so easy to do. It's because I was immersed in an environment when I was younger where that's just what you did. And because that's just what you did, when it came time for me to give, it wasn't a problem. And even to this day, giving is not difficult for me. If I find a kingdom cause that has value, I'm going to give into it, whatever it is. And to me, it doesn't matter if it's the church, if we're just trying to help out someone in need. I've never struggled with giving in my whole life. I don't think that's some necessarily some special grace that I have. I think it's because I was immersed in that environment as a young person. And because of that, it just got in me. Because what your parents do, you'll often repeat. That's the thing that happens from generation to generation. So I told you all of that to to build mum and dad's profile, because now I'm going to tell you something else that they said. So I wanted just to encourage them this morning. But but this other thing that in particular my mum would say. She would say... (laughs) She's wondering right, right now, which one will he choose? I would see her do something that she told me not to do. And I would point it out. Look at what you did. And do you know what she'd say? Do as I say, but not as I do. And I would hate it. Because I would say, well, if it's good for me, then it's good for you. If you think that I shouldn't do it, then why would you do the exact same thing? See, kids won't do what you say, they'll do what you do, so you do what you want them to do. Kids won't do what you say, they'll do what you do, so you do 
what you want them to do. It's amazing to me how many parents would not want their kids to be engaged in certain activities and behaviours, but figure that they can handle it. Like it's okay for them because they're mature enough to, to handle it or to step into that space that they're not supposed to step into. Here's a good rule of thumb. If you never want your kids to do it, if you don't want anyone that you're raising to be a disciple engage in it, don't you do it. Just a good rule to sort of live by. I think it was Benjamin Franklin who said, it is better to say well done than well said. Because a lot of people can speak. I think we're living in an age right now where we need a generation of people that will just do and we can point to it. We can say they did it. You know, I used to work in, um, used to work in recruitment. And I had this lady that came to me one day and she knew I was studying to be a pastor. So she came to me one day and she had a young child and she said to me, um, hey, Ben, can you help me out? I said, yeah, what do you, what do you need? She said, well, I'm trying to get my, my girl into this Catholic school. I said, yeah. She said, well, can you do something? Um, I, was, I said, what are you looking for? She said, I don't know. And then she had this weird hand action that was almost like I was laying on hands and imparting the Catholic spirit into a child. She said, can't you just make her Catholic? I said, I can't do that. First of all, I'm not Catholic, okay? (laughs) Second of all, you can't impart that by laying on hands. It's actually really funny. We live in a world right now where a lot of people think that if their parents were a particular type of religion, then they are too, and yet they have no relationship with God. So here is this lady, and she's saying to me, can you just pray for her and and, and make her Catholic, and then I can say to the priest and to the school that she is Catholic, and then we can write to her, and then she can get in the school. I said, what do you want to go to the school for anyway? She goes, oh, you know, all the values and stuff. I said, oh, you know what is amazing to me? is how when people have their own children, when they have their kids, they suddenly realize what values they want to be instilled into those children and values that have, they've always thought that they could circumnavigate themselves or not pay attention to or not apply to. Suddenly, they become very important for their kids, for that next generation. It's almost as if they know what's right, even whether, whether they paid attention to it or not. So here was my advice to that lady. I said, look, I said, I can't help you, but how about this? Let's try this on. If you want her to be Catholic, then you be Catholic. If you want her to have those great values, then you have those great values. If you want them to go a certain path in life, then show them how to take that path in life with your life. Because we can't expect the schools or whatever to instill the values that we don't apply in our own houses, instill them into the kids and make it someone else's responsibility. Yes, it is an awesome privilege and responsibility to be a parent. And you get the privilege of being able to draw out the great things that God's put into your kid. But part of that is living the kind of life that sets a good example for the kids to follow. So if you're stubborn... Hands up if you're married to a stubborn person. Sarah, hands down. Yeah, there you go. Like, or just oh, That's probably embarrassing. Just look at them. There's a lot more looks than there is hands up. If you're married to a stubborn person, or if you're a stubborn person, and you're stubborn, and you, you, you know, the way that you are in your house, 
Guess what you'll raise? Stubborn children. And when you say, I have seen my children come out with a phrase that only I use. And when they say it, I'm like, I actually do know where you got that from. It's because they heard me say it. If in your house, if you're going to be prideful, you know, if you know someone that struggles to say, I'm sorry, if you know someone, if you are prideful and you don't like to say that, guess what? You're going to raise kids that are going to behave the exact same way. If you're inconsistent, your kids will be inconsistent. Why? Well, because you're the biggest influence. And whether you're raising disciples or raising kids, if you are someone's influence, you need to take responsibility for how you live your life. For example, if you wanted your kids to have a great relationship with God or a great relationship with with Jesus, here's my encouragement to you. Get out of your prayer closet. Don't get in there. You know, like if you're one of the the people that all of your quiet time with God is spent in some spiritual room that's in the house that the kids never go in, and you you always say, leave me alone, I need to pray, close the door, lock it. They're on the outside saying, I wonder what he's doing in there. I wonder what she's doing in there. Well, I don't know, but they just emerge with the glory cloud. So the Shekinah glory is all over them like 15 minutes later. They have no idea what you're doing in there. One of the things that I do, because it's actually good to have some privacy sometimes while you're praying, but my kids, there are no boundaries in my house. So, so they actually put a lock on my door if I needed some quiet time. Now they just, dad, dad, dad. I'm like, it's locked for a reason. Dad, I need to talk to you anyway. So now I just leave it unlocked. Here's what happens. If they come in and I'm in the middle of prayer, you know what I do? I say, hey, hey come, 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 come. Come here. I want you to sit on my lap. And you know what we do? We pray together. You know why we pray together? Because I want them to know what prayer looks like. You know, it has to be modeled to a generation. Imagine if we had these very spiritual mums and dads who had all these spiritual moments completely concealed from their children. We're going to raise a generation of young people that has no idea what it looks like to pray, what it looks like to have intimacy with God. Don't get me wrong. We're very good at doing events. We're very good at running those things and we can do it here. But isn't some of the biggest challenges that people have just having your own prayer life in your own home when it doesn't start at 7 p.m.? There's no coffee served before it. You know, like when you just have to make it your own personal and private discipline. You know, my point is, is that if you want your kids to have that, then I feel like it's pretty easy. You just do it, right? Like if you want your kids to have great relationships with people, you know it would be a good idea? Just manage conflict well. Manage conflict well in, in your home. You know, the, the way that you think. Like don't, don't be a person that's, that's given to explode and be upset and all the rest of it because you know what? You, you're going to regret that when they become teenagers. You're going to regret that. You just got to model what you would love to see them do. If you want them to have healthy relationships and, and just in general, then you've got to model conflict well. You've got, to, you've got to start to change the way that you speak. Like, for example, if you have small children, it'd be really great for you to say to your spouse, I love you when they're around. Just so they know that you do. Just so they can hear that. I mean, that's something that they should hear on a regular basis. You know, if, if you want your kids to be consistent... 
then you model commitment. You know, one of the things that my kids have never asked me, they have never asked me, I'm not saying that you have to do this, but they have never said, Dad, are we going to church on Sunday? Never! If they did, I'd say, is that a joke? Because we do church every Sunday. So, oh, you just say that because you're the pastor. Nope. Before I was pastoring the church, I would go to church every Sunday. From the moment that God got my heart, I was there every single week. I'd have to be sick on death's door or on a holiday somewhere. And even when we're on holidays and we have our kids, where possible, we take them to a church. You know why? I love to be in the house of God. You know what I want them to see? I want them to see that it's good to love God and it's good to be passionate about church and it's good to, to, to desire these things. You know, My kids would never ask me that. So you've got to start to think about what if you're inconsistent, your kids will be inconsistent. You know, if I start to look back over, over history, it's almost like years ago. And I'm using the example of church, but you can use it with anything that you want. But just, just for the purpose of today, you know, there was generations of people that went to church every week. And now it's about 50%. And the thing that gets my heart that makes me concerned is, what will the generations down the road do? Is it one out of four? And do we think that that's really enough for the kingdom to arise and change the globe? I thought the church was meant to be the hope of the world. It is one out of four Sundays. You know, if we want to see good things happen in their lives and in their future, then we've got to kind of live the lives that model it. Same thing raising a disciple. If you're raising a disciple, what you do, they will repeat. So you've got to be careful about how you live your life. This is just simply, like, if you don't have kids and you're thinking, oh, does this apply to me? All I'm talking about is influence. It's just influence, and it works on every people group. It can work in your workplace. It can work in your sporting club. Wherever anybody would look to your example, these principles would work. You know, when I came back to have a relationship with God, this might sound strange to you, but I always aimed below the examples set for me. I did, because I would see people that I thought were, you know, similar to my age and space, and I would use them as my example, and I thought, however they live their lives, I'm new to all of the church stuff, so I reckon that I can get away with below what they're doing. And if they were setting a low example, I'm just going to aim a little bit below that. See, there is a responsibility that comes with the way that you live your life. And I'm not just talking about how you show up on Sunday and, 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 the, and the event that you showed up to and the, and the fact that you served and you ticked the box. There's something in your life that will be imparted to the next generation. I think Jesus understood this so well. He had his disciples with him doing life on life for three years straight. It wasn't about the event. It wasn't about the crowd. That's how they're able to write with so much clarity about what he did between their big church meetings because they were with him the whole time and they saw how he lived his life. And it's so important that we set that example for kids. You know, if you're one thing here and you're another thing at home, they're going to see it. It makes you look hypocritical. And that's not the kind of generation that we want to raise. You know, at least Jesus' disciples had a, had a choice. Remember what he said to them? He, he said something like, uh, are you guys going to go too? He said, come on, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part in the kingdom. And he was talking about something that was metaphorical. And everyone, this big crowd, they left him. And he said to his disciples, what do you say? He says, 
you guys going to go too? And if this isn't a backhanded compliment, I don't know what is. They were like, yeah, no, nah, like, yeah, we don't know where else we'd go, actually. So I guess we'll stick with you. <laughs> like, where else? That's literally what they said. They said, well, where else are we going to go? No, no, we're going to stick it out. We're going to see this through. At least they had options, though. Your kids don't have options. Your kids are actually with you every you know, minute of their lives when they're generally not at school. So what you do makes an impact. Everything you do and everything you don't do, it makes an impact. Dads, you have an effect. You have an effect on your family. It's a great privilege. I want to read to you some stats that I did find. This was done from a Barna study back in 2009. It said men may enjoy the advantages in physical strength, but they are much less likely than women to exercise their spiritual muscles. Mums are also more, like, uh, more religiously active. In a typical week, mothers are more likely uh, than are fathers to attend church, pray, read the Bible, participate in small groups, attend Sunday school, and volunteer some of their time to help a nonprofit organization. Some of the dads are thinking, well, that's because we work, okay, but a lot of this stuff is done outside of work, so don't worry about that. It says, the only faith-related activity in which fathers are just as likely as mothers to engage is volunteering to help at church. And I think that that's great, but I wonder if it's enough enough to really disciple the next generation. Because normally when you're discipling, I mean, normally when you're volunteering, you're not with your kids anyway, Right? Right? So, you, if, so if you're part of a host team, what are you going to do? You're going to stand on your door, but you're not doing that with your kids, right? So maybe there's spiritual activity that, that, that you're engaged in, you know? But, but the point that I want to make is that there needs to be something in the home that's modeled, that's consistent, that's intentional so that kids can see it. See, discipleship is the discipline you never want to delegate to anyone else. Discipleship is a discipline you never want to delegate to anyone else. What a privilege it is to be able to disciple your own kids. What a privilege it is to disciple spiritual babies, people that want to grow and want to develop. And there's a responsibility because God has put stuff in these people that he's looking for it to be drawn out of them. If you're here and you're... uh, If you're here and you're feeling guilty, please don't do that. Because you're not supposed to be feeling guilty this morning. You're meant to see the great opportunity, the incredible privilege that you have to change another generation. So you need to know that your example is powerful because it will be repeated in the next generation. So you do whatever you want them to do. Just live the life that's transparent. Let me read to you another scripture. I want to read this out of Numbers chapter 13. Verse 27. You won't have this on screen. I just wanted you to listen to this. This, What is happening here in this chapter is that God has finally brought his people so close to the promised land. And he sends out 12 spies to go into the promised land, to spy out the land that God was going to 
give to them. He's already rescued them from Egypt. They've already seen the most miraculous things happen. They've seen water part. There's, you know, they, they, they've, they've gone through on dry land. They've said manna, you know, fall out of the sky. You know, the, there was a pillar of fire by night, cloud covered by day. I mean, these people have seen the hand of God at work. Twelve people that represent twelve tribes. These are fathers of tribes, not just their own family unit, but fathers of tribes. So he sends them out. They come back and this is what it says, verse 27. And they told him, being Moses, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. However, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seemed ourselves like grasshoppers to them. So we seemed. You know... A lack of spiritual maturity can cause the next generation to not inherit the promises that God has for them. So you got to grow. You got to learn more about God and, 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 and the promises that He has for His people. You've got to lead your family into the promises of God. And I don't, know, I don't know one dad. I don't know one dad that would want his kids to miss out on what God has for them. But you know, if we don't live lives where we're going deeper into God, deeper into His presence or finding out more or searching for that next revelation, if it's just surface level, if it's not that life-on-life discipleship stuff, if, it's not, if, if they're not seeing the, the prayer or, or, or the devotion or the reading or the hunger, just even the hunger. I mean, the hunger makes a difference. You can see when people are hungry for the presence of God, but if it's always met with apathy in the home and, yeah, I guess we got to go and I guess we're going to have to do this and, yeah, I did it, I did it. I don't think that you're going to cause your kids or your disciples. I don't think you're going to cause them to inherit the promises of God and what's seen will be repeated in the next generation. And I don't want you to feel the pressure of this at all because sometimes you say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Well, I'm not a good reader. And uh, I know so many men that just hate to read, just hate to read. I understand that. It's not an excuse. Just something that you don't like to do. I I, I get that, but there are things that you can do. And and, and you know, when I don't know the answer to something, you know what I do? I search. I Google. You've read my notes. I Google. I reckon church is the best spiritual Google because when I, if I don't know something, I can walk into this environment and say, hey, what do you know about this? 
What do you know about that? What do you know about the promises of God? I can, I can go find a... I, I, don't, I haven't raised teenagers, but I can find plenty of dads who have and go to them and say, hey, listen, I'm coming up against a few situations that are challenging to me. What did you do? What did you learn? So you, you don't have to be it in a bit. You just have to know where to go. And this is one of the best places you can go if you want to develop your kids in that spiritual sense. You know what I thought I'd do? Today, I just thought I'd give you three things that are worth growing in. So it's always about the direction that you go. You, you don't have to be it. You're not, it. you're not trying to be 10 out of 10 in every single area. I'm not asking for perfect theologians today. It's all about the direction that you're going. It's about the intentionality of your life and what you're living. So whether you've got kids or whether you don't, whether you're a mum or whether you're a dad, it doesn't matter. These are three things that are worth developing, whether you're raising disciples or kids, it doesn't matter. Three things. The first one is be humble. Be humble. Be honest. You know, the worst thing is when your kids can't trust you. If they didn't know what you were saying was really the truth, that wouldn't that be a horrible thing? And if you're dishonest, there's going to come a point where you let your kids down. So if you want to build something worth developing into your life so it'll be repeated in them, be humble. Be honest. Acknowledge. Now I'm talking to dads now. I'm talking to men. Acknowledge how you feel. Acknowledge how you feel. Because you might be growing in your reading and understanding of the Scriptures, but if you are emotionally immature, you're not going to raise the kind of kids that God wants you to raise. You know, when I think about the great men of the Bible, few people come to mind. One of the people that comes to mind is David. Oh, David, what do we know him best for? The shepherd boy that, that slew Goliath, you know, and he, isn't he amazing? He's a man's man. Yeah, but he's the same manic depressive that was so in touch with his feelings. Just read the Psalms. He's high, he's low, but at least he's honest. If your kids never see you be honest, don't be the strong, silent type. Your kids will grow up thinking, Dad never had a bad day in his life. You need to be honest at certain points, but mature enough to know when to be honest and how to handle it. So at least acknowledge your feelings, apologize when you need to. You know what I've learned? I've learned that you can, you can win an argument and still lose if you break relationships. So be humble. This is something that your kids need to see. Number two, be healthy. Be healthy. Here's the challenge. 24 nuggets are not part of your staple diet. If they are every week, I'm just saying, I'm just saying that if you don't show kids what it looks like to cook a healthy meal, they're going to move out of house when they get to uni and they're going to eat chicken nuggets. How you eat matters. Why? Because it'll be repeated in the next generation. How, how, do, you, do you exercise? Like, don't feel guilty if you don't. Yeah, I, I forgot where my gym is too. But the point is, okay, what is the example that you're setting? What do you do too much? What do you do too much? Is it work? Do you work too much? Like, just be honest with yourselves this morning and say, yeah, you know what? I, I know that I do. I'm not, I'm not around as much as I should. I know that I, I could do that a little bit more. What are you given to? Hey, do you watch, honestly, do you, if you were going to be honest with yourself and say, I, I definitely watch too much Netflix. And my kids see that all the time. I just veg out. That's all I do when I, when I get home. How do you handle your stress? How do you handle it? What do you use to get through? 
You know, is, is there some kind of substance that you're given to? Is it, is it, do you drink wine? Do you drink beer? You know, some of you are like, nope, it's cider. Whatever, it, the point remains the same. The point is the same. There's no loophole on this. It's okay. But is it a crutch to get through? Because I've seen this be repeated in generations. There used to be an ad about it on television. I don't know if you remember it. It was this ad of like three generations where the father would say to the son, go to the fridge and and get me a drink. And the son would come back with the beer and then he would grow up and then he would say it. And it would just be repeated. It's, It's not about what you're sending them to the fridge for. It's like, what are the behaviors that the kids are seeing? So you know what? Live a healthy life. You know, don't wait for tomorrow. Make that decision today. You're discipling your kids. They don't have a choice. They can't go anywhere. They're going home with you today. So get healthy. Number three, first one was be humble. Second one was be healthy. The third one, be hungry. Be hungry. Dads, I cannot enforce this point enough to you. Please be hungry for God. Be hungry for the presence of God. Be hungry for the things of God. Pray and let Him see it. Worship and let Him hear it. Be hungry. Be passionate. You might not like reading. There is a way to get around part of that. Just, you know what? This might be a good idea. Just download the YouVersion Bible app. It comes up with a scripture and, and you can work through a devotional. But do something and let Him see it. And don't let all of the deepest spiritual stuff that you do be in closed doors where people will never see you. If you emerge with the glory cloud on you, congratulations, but your kids might not. The disciples that you're raising might not because they've never seen it modeled how to actually do life. Yes, events, we do well. Church, we can attend. Yes, I understand all of that. But can you do it in your life on a daily basis? Because that is what we'll build into the next generation. That's what people will see. That is what will be repeated in your kids. So remember this. Your kids will not do what you say. They'll do what you do. So you do what you want them to do. Make sense? I want you to stand to your feet. I want to pray for Hey, thanks for listening to the Activate Church weekly podcast. We hope you are encouraged today and we would love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to activatechurch.com.